brute force. If it doesn't work, you're just not using enough. You're listening to Software Radio, special operations military news, and straight talk with the guys in the community. Soft Rep Radio, on time, on target. As promised, we have BK coming on this episode to talk his uh, suspension from Twitter, which is still <laughs> ongoing. I don't know if he's permanently banned and he's going to be on his uh, burner account. But before before that, um, we do have a recent guest of the podcast, Marine Corps Major Fred Galvin. And although we promised a future discussion, uh, an in-depth discussion on China, we won't be doing that today. I reached out to Fred because I just heard uh, actually yesterday about the passing of Congressman Walter Jones. Um, Before I get your reaction, actually, uh, Major Galvin, I I could tell you just uh, real quick, if you don't mind, Walter Jones is a guy I've known about for years. um, And the stuff that I know about Walter Jones prior to even even knowing that he got involved in your case of uh, with Marsoc was that he was a guy who was like an adamant supporter of the war in Iraq. And I don't know if you know this, Jack, he's the guy who who decided we weren't going to call French fries anymore French fries. Oh, really? But we were going to call them freedom fries. <laughs> As, As the years passed, though, and he saw guys coming back to his district losing whims, he really rethought his position, and he was like, why are we over here? And he did a complete 180, and he was the guy who was able to go out there and say, look, I shouldn't have voted for this war. And I didn't know that. Yeah, and it's something that I think politicians don't do nowadays. Now, you know, They're so focused on being consistent that they can't go out and say, look, we had bad information, and this is not a vote I would have made. Um, so I, I really respected him for that. Also, I know he was like an adamant Ron Paul supporter from uh, 2008 and 2012, which, to you know, be fair, I was as well. Uh, and, and he was a guy who, from what I know, and you could probably speak more on this, Fred, he, he was an adamant supporter of the troops when it came to funding for troops, for making sure that they got the equipment they needed. But when it came to like a surge in Iraq, he, he departed from the Republican Party and would say like, you know, why are we still there? And I, I like the fact that he was a guy who wasn't just going to go with the party on everything and voted his conscience, uh, conscious. And that's the same reason I think that he helped you guys out when the media was hammering Marsock for these false accusations of war crimes. So with that, I, I kind of wanted to get your reaction. Yes. Uh, <clears throat> those uh, are some really unique things about the character of Congressman Jones, and I will say this, the seven of us who were falsely accused of 19 counts of of killing Afghan civilians and 50 of wounding Afghan civilians, it would have been an entirely different story if this gentleman that we're talking about who, as you mentioned, passed away on Sunday on his 76th birthday, you know, if he had not taken that courageous stand, and just like 
we said on the last podcast, what's going on right now is people are gearing up for an election cycle. That was going on when our case was. And he did not know us. None of our families or any of us contacted him. And it took a lot of courage during uh, somebody's gearing up for a campaign for re-election to go out and defend seven people who he did not know. He didn't know any of the story to it. And, but he did know that there were senior army officers that had gone to the press, the Washington post and the print and one from Afghanistan, Colonel Nicholson, who later, you know, got promoted all the way to four star general and was in charge of all forces in Afghanistan. He made a televised uh, press conference to the Pentagon press corps. And he's answering questions to Reuters and many others about stating that, you know, we killed. And that was his speech where he said, this was a terrible, terrible shame. It's a stain on our honor. He apologized for America. Congressman Jones stood up on the floor of the House of Representatives and said no. And there were there were several officers, you know, Army and Marine as well, who made some very public and derogatory comments. And as you know, in the military justice system, it's not like out in the civilian world where you get promoted or retained in your organization, you know, based on, I mean, if, if you say something against what a general officer has said, and those are the people that are the convening authority, and they're also your promotion authority. It, it can look really bad for your future. Uh, and so Congressman Jones was the only one who stood up for us. And then after he said that, then there's you know some you know military leaders who retreated from their earlier comments. But uh, we owe him so much, not just for that stand in 2007, but uh, you know he called me like where I'm at right now. And he said, Fred, this is after, this was the summer he had in a, he was running against his Republican in the primary. He won there. He was uncontested against the Democrat in the general election this last fall. And he said, Fred, I've just won. This is going to be my last term. Because if this is the last thing that I do, major Calvin, I am going to make sure we clear your names because this, wow. that's my focus. And I'm, I'm not making this up. His, his legislative assistant, uh, Catherine Jordan, was on the phone, and you know it meant a lot to me because this has affected our men so deeply and so negatively. And you know, I say that, and I make an assumption here that uh, you know some of these medical situations were reported. You know, Congressman Jones was started getting treated last September, and I think he knew that you know this could, in fact, be one of the last things that he did. And you know, then we received that report last month in January, and you know he swore in bedside for this term, and uh, you know that was the last thing that I know that he did as a congressman is you know that Pentagon report that cleared us. Uh, and he's just a man of his word, courageous, took action, and as you mentioned, you know he he shows the true ethos of a of a man, a human being, you know, to show the character that you know you could be wrong. And you could admit your mistakes because, like in the military, a lot of the senior leaders that's that's looked at as a flaw if you admit that you made a mistake, and and that that's where I think you know people go wrong. Whether you're an aviator, I mean, you don't have a lot of time to make you know to correct mistakes, and and that is I think one of the hazards in our military is when leaders are going down the wrong path and they will not reverse it. But you know, Congressman Jones, he originally made that comment about those French fries, and he said the same thing about the the French toast and he called them freedom toast and freedom fries. He's the French did not join in originally in the Iraq campaign. And, uh, but then he saw 
because it touched him firsthand when he went to a funeral of a Marine who was killed from uh, Camp Lejeune. He saw firsthand the pain that family experienced. So you know, here's a, a real human being whose heart, I mean, he's, I saw over the years, because I unfortunately had to deal with a lot of members of Congress who um, some wouldn't stand up for us, but they, they'd follow his lead on putting some of the faces of the uh, service members who were killed in their district. <clears throat> and Congressman Jones, that really became, that weighed deeply on his heart. And he put all the uh, photographs of those fallen heroes. And I think it really meant you know, a big deal. And he tried to make sure, as you mentioned, Ian, you know, that those Marines and soldiers that were fighting on the front lines had the proper equipment. Yeah. But then he saw, he's formed alliances with people trying to say, hey, why are we funding something that these forever wars that have no end that are just taking lives and, and draining us money, spending trillions of dollars. And uh, meanwhile, he knew that there was other threats, China, Korea, Iran, Russia, that, you know, we are kind of ignoring on a large scale that can threaten our, our way of life as Americans. And, uh, and he's just a great man, a great example, somebody I look to, uh, for leadership and mentorship. And it's, it's sad to see, uh, you know, he'll be, dearly missed. Um, I know his funeral is this Thursday there in Greenville, uh, St. Peter's church, but he's, he's, a. I, I wish other leaders, I mean, how many congressmen or women do you know that, you know, truly take something public that could be their end. And they stand up and boldly not knowing which way it could go. And that's what he did in our case. And he did in the case of Elario Pantano and, uh, James Wyrick, who stood up against the commandant of the Marine Corps. I mean, uh, Congressman Jones was a true seeker and he was a man of faith that really used that faith to take that, those kind of courageous stands. So we owe so much to him. Yeah, I, I would agree. And, and when you're talking about that, it's kind of looked at as a negative when you say I was wrong, I think especially in politics, because you see it in every election where they're like, in 2012, you said this, but in 2016, you said yeah. this. And there's nothing wrong with saying, you know, with new information, my position has changed. Sure. And I think that most politicians are very afraid of doing that because a big thing is consistency. You're even seeing it with the Democrats who are running right now in the next presidential election. They're, you know, they're like, Cory Booker, you were for this, but you're now for this. And, and, and I, I remember feel like when Obama came out and he said that, uh, I believe it was regarding Libya, he was saying that we got it wrong. And, uh, and even Vladimir Putin came out and was like, Obama, he's a good man. He, may, he said the right thing. It was difficult <laughs> to change course. Uh, it was an interesting moment yes. because, as you said, you very rarely hear a politician make a comment like that. Yeah. Yeah, especially about a war in Iraq, you know, because people, as as he said, are coming back to his district, losing mm -hmm. limbs, you know, and uh, it's a tough thing to say that, that I had a part in this by right. voting this way. And I'm going to yeah. change course and make up for this in how I vote in the future. And I think it just showed his character. And like I said, I, I was a fan of his prior to learning about what happened with the Marsoc case. And now hearing about this from you, you know, it, it makes me admire him even more. And it's just, it really is a shame this guy passed before his time. Yeah. And, and you're right. He, to reinforce some of the things I said earlier, when he called those things freedom fries and freedom toast, he was doing that to mock and antagonize and get other people in the U.S. Congress on board. Like, hey, the French backed out. We need everybody's full support on this. So he was, he was doubling down 
But then he saw, you know, the, the family members who were, you know, weeping and in pain uh, and he experienced that. And that's when he really took that to heart. And I think as long as somebody can define and defend what, you know, why they've changed this position and for him, in our case, it wasn't a one-time fire and forget. We weren't even his constituents. None of us, mm-hmm. you know, hailed from the third district in North Carolina, but and then when the case ended and some of us were getting pushed out of the Marine Corps, none of us were even stationed there. But he, for 11 and a half years, you know, calling me, you know, this last summer saying, Fred, this is the last thing I do. I mean, that's, that's the kind of leader that you want in the military. It's somebody that's like, I don't care. You know, it's completely in it. And that's what they teach us, you know, when you go through a close quarter battle package, when they say that like every cell in your body has to be for winning that war. And that's what I wish our military leaders right now could be like, Hey, they could have that mindset of a Congressman Walter B. Jones. It's like, you know, I'll die for this. And, and that's what he said to me. He's like, if it's the last thing I do, and I think in his mind, I'm assuming this, I'm not trying to make something fictional here, but he said that to me. And I think he probably in his mind, because he shortly after saying that he was starting to get, you know, treated in, uh, September, I think he could. He realized that it could be the last thing he did, and he he saw that, and he told me, wow. he said, "Fred, it took me 14 years, you know, to to clear the names of those two Osprey pilots that were flying at that time in 2000. It was an experimental aircraft. The Osprey was, and they were on a a training mission out in Arizona, and it crashed, and you know, 19 Marines were killed, and the Marine Corps blamed that on uh, pilot error, and." You know, he fought for 14 years, just did not let go. Um, and that's, you know, I really wish people had uh, had that kind of conviction. You know, when they see something wrong is done, you know, so many people think it's, you know, let's just forget this. But not not with this man. He had he truly had principles. And there's a lot of people that say, hey, I disagree with him on this. And he didn't mind going against the grain. But they're like, hey, on these issues, especially with protecting the frontline foot soldiers and the rank and file, you know, he uh, he was adamant. He wasn't doing that for any kind of show. That definitely takes a, a lot of character to change your mind on a big issue like that and admit that you made a mistake. But it's so important. I mean, sanity has to prevail at some point. Yes. And I will uh, mention, you know, two other cases that Elario you know, Pantano, he defended very adamantly. And Elario Pantano was a, enlisted Marine who became a sniper and then was working on wall street as a trader uh, up in New York city. And then nine 11 happened. You know, he went and then tried to get back in and became an officer. And then he was in Fallujah and killed these two Iraqis who had, uh, hit, were advancing towards him. And, um, they, they charged, he was the very first Marine, uh, that was charged in the Iraq war of, uh, homicide and, you know, Walter Jones stood up for him as the first, stood up for me. And then when another case you may be familiar with, the Marines that urinated on the Taliban, yeah. uh, the dead Taliban soldiers, um, there was a Marine lawyer that took, you know, the unprecedented step and took a lot of courage. You saw the email traffic going back and forth. And one of them involved the comment on the Marine Corps telling the convening authority that he wanted those Marines crushed. And that... Marine officer who was a major at the time, James Wyrick, uh, you know, went to the press and said, you know, it's this un- unlawful command influence. You know, you may disagree with what they want and you may feel that way, but you can't influence the convening authority. And, 
you know, I've, I personally contacted, uh, James Wire and I said, you know, here's somebody that, you know, will defend and he has a mindset for the truth. And, um, you know, James Wyrick was able to contact Walter Jones and Walter Jones adamantly defended and he said it on the, the floor of the, uh, House of Representatives at a congressional hearing involving General Amos that, you know, why did he, uh, why did he make those remarks? So, I mean, he's, you know, when there's a man that has a heart for truth and justice and those men and women fighting on the front lines. So I just, I love the man to death and I really, you know, pray for the peace and comfort for his wife, Joanne and his whole family and his staff that, uh, have endured this, this last year. And, uh, very sorry to hear him pass this Sunday. I also was pretty sure he had some military service in his background, so I just looked this up. Uh, he yeah. did. He was in the uh, North Carolina National, National Guard. Guard, yeah, from 1967 to 1971. Uh, but, yeah, I, we're, we're going to get over to BK, but I do appreciate you coming yep. on because this is just something that I wanted the audience to be aware of. And, you know, this is a guy who definitely was a fighter for you and, and for for others, as you just talked about. So uh, we'll yeah. definitely have you back on, though, soon for a more in-depth discussion on china and other things i'm getting my highlighter out now (laughs) (laughs) well thanks ian and and i'm not sitting in front of my computer but i'll say this about congressman jones he never once even downplayed he's like you know i've never been there but he never once ever mentioned you know that he served so i i knew that you you looked that up but you know he he was somebody who was so humble and had that spirit of a leader it's just incredible man you know (laughs) he deserves an award himself for what he's done Thanks for sharing some of these memories, uh, Fred. I'm sure it'll actually mean a lot to his family, too, if they hear this. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I'll send the, the podcast link to his, uh, his office, and uh, hopefully they will be able to all listen. Oh, great. Appreciate it. Thank you very much again, guys. No, no problem. Thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, thanks, Fred. All right. Bye, Jack and Ian. Talk right. soon. And then this is probably the part of the podcast where they'll want to shut it off because I'm sure we're going to get all over the place with BK. <laughs> oh, my God. So uh, <laughs> let's let's get over to him because it's going to take a totally different turn with him on as usual. <laughs> so it's it's funny, as I was saying, BK, we just had like a heartfelt discussion with Marine Corps Major Fred Galvin about the uh, unfortunate passing of Congressman Walter Jones and uh, he was like, oh, I'll send this over to the family of Congressman Jones. But I was thinking, like, this part of the podcast, they'll, pro- they'll probably <laughs> want to turn off because I have no idea where we're going to go from here. Um, I'll be good. I promise I'll be good. <laughs> you, you don't have to. Be, be yourself, man. But uh, <laughs> right. back on the podcast for the first time in a while is BK. Most of our audience knows who you are, host of the BK podcast, uh, World News with BK, which you record every week, former Air Force PJ. Uh, you've written for the site before. You also have a Patreon up, uh, patreon.com slash bkactual. And the reason we're having you on is because this has happened multiple times, but you've been suspended from Twitter. You, yes. you're, you're still suspended and are are on a different account right now. But I think this is the longest you've been suspended, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I have to clarify, Ian. I'm not, I've been permanently banned on that. Permanently so banned when, when, by the libtards. So when they say suspended, yeah, when they say suspended, that means you're, you're done. There's no, I don't know why they even call it suspended because you're not coming back. It's like the, the Twitter death penalty. So we have to hear the whole story on this. Yeah. Do you okay. know what you actually did 
to, to get no, I, no, I do not. And so Ian and Jack, I'll, I'll, t- I'll talk you guys through. So I've been, I was, I was basically, how it worked for me on Twitter is I was suspended three times. In other words, where they said, Hey, you're, you're being punished. Okay. And then the fourth time I was permanently banned. Okay. So I'll tell you about what happened the first and, and, and all of them are total bullshit. So the first time I got a 24-hour suspension from Twitter was when the actor, Matthew Modine, you guys know from Full Metal Jacket, right? Private Joker. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he said something stupid about politics, and I just replied, choke yourself. You know, (laughs) like in the movie Full Metal Jacket, his character, choke yourself. That was enough to get me suspended for 24 hours. That was the first one. Okay, and, it, and and when and I don't know if you guys know this, but when Twitter suspends you, they send you the offending tweet, so you know what you did, right? And so I was like, I knew it was that one. I'm like, okay, fine. The second time was also a 24 hour suspension, and that was when that Bob Woodward book Fear came out. Yeah. He's the former Washington Post journalist. Uh, and anyway, I was laughing about it, and I said, I commented, I don't even know whose feed I commented on, but I commented on somebody's feed. They were talking about the Bob Woodward book. And I said, man, you will never go broke selling crap to the tards and the resistance. I didn't even say retards. I said tards. Okay. That, that too got me a 24 hour suspension. <laughs> then my third was when Chris Hayes from MSNBC, who I, I really like giving shit to. I'm sure and he you guys, I you. should point, and you guys, I should point out here that I'm never like abusive, like calling, like saying you should die or you should kill. You. I don't do any of that. Okay. I just crack on people, rag on people. Yeah. So on, on Chris, Chris Hayes had this guy and you, maybe you've seen him around the Twitter, Jack. His name is Sean McElwee. He is a true open borders guy. His, his Twitter bio says abolish ice. He's one of these guys. He's a communist. Okay? Yes, basically. Like far left lunatic. Anyway, so Chris Hayes had Sean McElwee on his podcast and treated him like an honors, honored guest. So I commented on Chris Hayes's tweet. I was like, hey, uh, uh, Chris, are you and your new best friend, open borders lunatic Sean, ever going to talk about the long list of people murdered by illegal immigrants? Here, here is the latest one to get you started. And I sent an accompanying news story about the latest one. Well, apparently calling somebody a lunatic is also a no-go. So I got suspended for that for a week. Now, bear in mind in the background of all this, I routinely see people calling for death of people constantly. Yeah, yeah all the time. The, the, the famous example being like, you know, Peter Fonda, the actor, famously uh, suggested that Baron Trump should be locked in a cage with pedophiles, implying he should be raped. I remember death. that. And, and, and not only did he, nothing happen to him, he didn't even lose his blue check mark. Okay. And, and now, I then, think I think one of the big ones too, to be honest, that everybody knows that's high profile was Kathy Griffin with the Trump head. Yeah, she didn't get to. Well, and I she, mean, Trump himself threatens to like nuke entire countries <laughs> on his Twitter. And I mean, yes, <laughs> I, I was going to give you guys another example real quick, and it's actually a guy that I've been in touch with before. So this guy Jonathan Franks is the press person for Montel um, Williams, and we've yes, had Montel aware. Williams on the podcast. So like, I've talked with Jonathan Franks on the phone. He's definitely a more left-wing guy in his tweets and likes to argue with people similar to you sometimes. But this I thought was completely out of line. Um, this kid, CJ Pearson, you may know, who's this conservative on Twitter, but he's he's literally a 16-year-old kid. He's a 16-year-old black kid who's, you know, like prominent in the movement, I think partially, honestly, because of his race, because they're like, this kid knows what's up, you know. And oh, yeah, of course. So anyway, he's he's on Twitter discussing his point of view, 
And he's a, he's a 16 year old. All right. Right. So Jonathan Franks, a middle-aged man, the other day tweeted to him in response to something. I don't know what. He wrote, whatever, CJ, you're a media whore who can't ever quite manage to figure out who you're fluffing. It's kind of sad. Is that, honestly, there, is that appropriate there, for a middle-aged man to tweet at a 16-year-old, and how come he's not suspended? There was a there was a, an editor at The Atlantic today tweeting out uh, about this uh, Esquire cover story that's about teenage males and i haven't yes, read the I article i haven't read the article yet but i think it's about you know the the issue we're having with young men in america and uh and, and she's all like oh great just what we need another article about the white male experience and it's like honey you're an editor at the atlantic like you're supposed to lead the conversation in an adult mature fashion uh, not like try to bully a teenager come yeah. on dude i dude i've seen that all over twitter today is this this rabid hatred of that Esquire cover because it has a young white man on the cover and fucking people are really bold, really boldly saying like, this is garbage, like making puke faces. I'm like, wow, you really, what fucking guy fucking, uh, you know, banged you out and then never called you again. Fucking <laughs> feminist editor. <laughs> the, the Jonathan Franks one, to be honest though, just really stood out to me because could you imagine that that only happens on Twitter? Could you ever imagine a scenario in the street where like a 45 year old man calls a 16 no. year old boy, a media whore. And that's okay. It, yeah. I just, no. I, I just don't get how you, you know, saying to another adult male, choke yourself, that's way off limits, but attacking an underage boy, that's fine. That I, right. I just, I, what are, and, what are the terms? I just, I really don't. And, and Jonathan Franks, by the way, is another verified guy on Twitter. Well, the nice, the nice thing about my three previous suspensions was that it, they at least Twitter emailed me a copy of the tweet that they said, okay, this is hateful or you're, you're, you're encouraging self-harm in the choke yourself comment. Anyway, so, so they, they let me know what I did. So anyway, this last one, just really quick, you guys. The last one, I woke, I went to bed. I woke up the next morning, and my account was vaporized. No email from wow. Twitter, no nothing. And they didn't tell me why on this one. They just said, your account's now permanently suspended. And the only thing I could think of was I was having a back and forth with somebody and got out making logical points, not attacking them on a personal level, nothing like that. And as you guys probably know, my big irritating thing is like, look, argue for the wall against the wall. That's fine. I'm ambiguous on the wall, but don't tell me that walls don't work because then you just sound like an idiot. Okay. Physical barriers, of course, work. Everybody knows they work. Jack, you've seen walls over in the Middle East. Okay. It's so when somebody says walls don't work, it makes me want to like, you know, tear my hair out. Well, anyway, the, you do get into shit. a more nuanced conversation there about the effectiveness of it, but I understand your sure. point. Right. So, so I'm talking to this girl who's saying walls don't work. And in her biography, she describes herself as both disabled and a bibliophile. So one of my tweets, and this is the only thing I can even think of back to her was, well, well, uh, lady, you know, the United States Customs and Border Protection and the Department of Homeland Security have both said on many, many occasions that physical barriers are very effective wherever they've tried. But I'm sure you, the disabled bibliophile, know better than they do. Okay, again, again, <laughs> repeating that what that. Is I written, can see them. What is written? What is written in her bio? Yeah. Without what I was repeating, right? But they could easily that's be like this guy's attacking can... disabled people. That's yes. going to be. Yeah. Yes, and that's the only thing I can even think of. Again, because they just vaporized my account without telling me 
what the uh, offense was. So I think you your go. assumption is correct. I'm going to say yeah, that's, probably. that did it, probably. <laughs> but I mean, Brian, <laughs> Brian, like, tell me what the fuck is going on on that entire platform that it seems like, uh, unless you're like, uh, have like a little hammer and sickle in your Twitter profile, like your persona non grata over there. Dude, it's, it's amazing. Jack, I watch, you know, as you know, I keep tabs on the woke vet crew, uh, those who haven't blocked me by now. <laughs> and, uh, they, they, they abuse me a lot. And I look at what they say and they tell people to fucking die. Oh yeah. All the time. Fucking you're a piece of shit. All that stuff. Nothing, nothing happens to them. Jack, you and I have joked many times in the past where I, as an experiment, I was going to create a super woke vet persona, you know, take all the, uh, you know, the resistance, it's hard to uh, do. Cues. It's hard to and, do and, and, because and I, bet, I bet you, I would get thousands of followers with you, you would. Being like a veteran who's woke. You would, but it's hard to do because so many of those people are already like a parody of themselves. It's like, I this know, is like man. a cardboard cutout character that was created in a, a Madison Avenue boardroom and then spilled into <laughs> social media in, in, in order to propagandize people. It's, it's pretty crazy, man. And I see Jack where, you know, I, you know, listen, you and I have had many, many long debates and the way people talk about you cracks me up. I'm like, holy shit. If that's what they're saying about Jack. Oh, that they God. think I'm like a Nazi and shit. Yeah. Beard, yeah bearded cash hog. <laughs> I actually saw one of my favorite woke vets and I'm not going to say who it was, but this morning he was commenting on the rally last night and he was like, ah, yes, look at all of the brown shirts supporting the fascists. And I'm like, dude, if we lived in true fascism, you would not be able to go on the internet and say what a fascist, the fascist leader was without consequences. You can do that. Okay. <laughs> Nothing is happening. The dark veil of Nazi Germany is not descending on America. Just shut up. Get out of here. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. I'm all worked up now, you guys. Uh, Thanks a it's, lot. It's bizarre. Um, I, I don't really get it. I, I mean, when I uh, get, first got out of the army and I went to college and I saw some of these guys who now we would describe them as woke vets, um, even though that wasn't a term at the time. But I figured they were just doing it to get laid, um, which I can kind of understand. But now it's to the uh, point where it's yeah. like, oh, what the fuck Kool-Aid have you people been drinking? Well, that too, but also Jack, I mean, I, I, I've seen, okay. Say if you say, let's, let's assume your premise is correct, that they're doing it to get laid. I mean, have you seen the chicks in the woke community? Yeah. They're not exactly yeah. really super hot is what I'm just trying to say. Okay. Come on. Well, I, I was speaking to college campus life. Um, as far as like this whole new iteration of uh, Twitter woke veteran, like that's that's just mystifying to me. I, I can't really uh, like you need like fucking Charles Darwin to go in there with his sketchbook and, and like write the origin of the species or something because I don't fucking understand it. Well, we are we're definitely going backwards in the way we just we're we're trying to group each other into various races and ethnicities and cisgender. And we're just grouping each other along these lines. And these become our default identities. And that's not what was supposed to happen. I don't know if you guys recall, but what was supposed to happen was we were all going to be equal. And that sounds like a pipe dream now. Yeah, I, I don't know, man. I, I, uh, I every day think about just pulling the plug on Twitter myself because it's just like it, it's so toxic. And I mean, it, it, even, oh, yeah. even if you are a left winger or even if you are woke and, you know, you're a, you're a member of the Ministry of Vice and Virtue of Wokistan, <laughs> uh, it, it's still it's just so toxic. I think it's just so bad for anyone's mental health to be on that yeah. platform. 
Um, yeah, I, I agree. If it wasn't actually, and if it wasn't, it's not a place for nuanced debate because no. it's hard to string together. You know, it takes a while to flesh out ideas. It can take like hours of talking or long articles and, and a platform that's like 280 characters or whatever it is now. It just isn't really available for that. If I didn't have the podcast, like really the only way I market the podcast is through Twitter. So, yeah, and now yeah. Instagram, I just got on Instagram, by the way, at BK actual T- Twitter is a place where I feel like a lot of people who are mentally ill, I can't <laughs> say this to make fun of people, but a lot of these woke folks, I, I, they strike me like, seriously, they're mentally ill. Like they have mental health issues. But then they get on Twitter and they all find each other and it becomes like confirmation bias. And they're like, we're the normal ones. And all of you right. people who want to live in a, in a diverse uh, country where we all get along with one another, you're the ones who are wrong. You're the ones who are bad. Yeah, I don't know, man. I, I just think I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's something they really believe or if they are just doing it to get that dopamine hit for the like. I mean, Jack, you and I have talked about how social media has been engineered to get those neural oh, yeah, reactions. 100%, 100%. From you. It's not just that, 100%. yeah, it's not just it's not just something for shits and giggles. They figured out what the human brain likes and what makes you addicted to a certain thing. And it's it's science. So I, I don't know if these guys really believe all the crap they, you know, sloth around or if this is just something because they know they'll get a lot of likes and that makes them feel good. Oh, it's, it's everybody. I mean cuz uh, to be fair, this is definitely not just like a left wing thing. It's, it is it's, not. There's no, certain not things all. that you could say on Twitter and you know will blow up. Um, you know, I saw, for example, a recent one I could think of was Tommy Laren was in that debate with Nicki Minaj over the things that Tommy Laren said. And the debate ended with, you know, Nicki Minaj saying to Tommy Laren, uh, you know, and, and why it, it was her saying basically, why do you act like your ancestors founded America? And then. Uh, Tommy Lahren responded, my ancestors did were the founders of America. And from that, Tommy Lahren started trending on Twitter. And you know, saying something like that, if you're a prominent figure, is going to make you trend on there as opposed to having a rational discussion. Right, right. And it's just, you know, and it's probably that huge dopamine hit. I'm sure for her, too, and to see my name sure. is trending on Twitter because I said something outrageous, you know? Yeah, and absolutely. And, and you know what? She should know or she should be smart enough to know that the now, which we have to consider the optics of the pretty white blonde woman arguing with a walk woman of color, that's always going to end badly for you as far as Twitter is concerned. <laughs> I, I don't know, but I, I feel like this is how her and other people and Coulter and all them like make their living is saying outrageous shit. Oh, yeah, shit. no, it is. You know, if, if, she, if she didn't say outrageous stuff, we wouldn't be talking about her. The fact that I'm yeah, talking about I, her right I, now, I, I it, it, it annoys me that I'm talking about her. <laughs> Right, exactly. But, you know, there's the media, the difference in between the two, the, the, the two versions of what you're talking about, Ian, I think, is one draws universal condemnation and one draws universal praise, you know? So no matter how silly that whack job, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, no matter how silly she acts, it doesn't matter because the media will always have her back, no yeah. matter what stupid shit she says, you know? So like Ann Coulter says, she's an easy target. Everybody's going to pile onto her. I think the craziest thing I saw on Twitter and social media of the past few days was, I mean, literally the president made a joke about the Trail of Tears, and then (laughs) his son uh, put it up on Instagram, Donald Trump Jr., and wrote, I love my president, savage. Like, it's it's pretty, I mean, I... 
I don't mean to laugh at it because I, I actually don't think there's anything funny about making a joke about the Trail of Tears. Well, why is that any more acceptable than making a joke about the Holocaust? I mean, it's the same, well, exactly, same exact exactly. thing. Yeah, what's, 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 the old, what's the old stand-up comedy rule that comedy equals tragedy plus time? You know what I'm saying? That's the old uh, comedian's rule. So you take something sad, you can joke about it as long as enough time is gone. I, I would understand I mean, if, a, if a professional comedian was joking outrage. about. Oh no! If a professional comedian joked about the trail of tears, I mean, it would be what it is. But we literally when have the, the president. president yeah. You know, it's and and the president does it for the <laughs> same reason Tommy Lahren does it. He knows that this gets a response. It gets people outraged. You know, I, I even think uh, you probably saw the recent thing on Pete Hegseth on. Fox, Fox and Friends said that he doesn't wash his hands, and he's never washed his hands in 10 years. Why am I and, supposed to care about this? But it's trending yeah. all over the fucking place, and I'm sure he said it in mind, saying, watch, after I say this, everybody's going to be talking about it, and everybody is talking oh, about yeah. it. And I agree with you. I don't care, but this is, you know, a nuanced discussion on China doesn't trend. <laughs> No, no, it does not. And you know what cracks me up is like, so I'm watching. Did you guys watch the Trump rally last night? I no, was watching. I didn't. Because uh, it just it was like it was like, I, and I commented on Twitter. I was like, God, this brings back. It was just like 2016 campaign 2016. You know, we had the protesters, a lot of protesters. You know, for the first time in a while, so all the protesters are getting you know uh, ejected, and then the crowd starts chanting USA. There's a couple fights. I was like, this is great. You know, I love it. it met, Think about how boring it's going to be after he's gone. We're going to have like we're going to have like boring ass Mike Pence or Kamala Harris. God, <laughs> it it is true. I mean, how are you ever? You're never going to top Trump. No, they will. I mean, people people will still try to keep up this frenzy, the hatred, but even the resistance, dude. You can't hate on Mike Pence the way you hate on Trump. No, you know what I mean. It's going to be hard for them to match that level of sustained outrage. Over a boring guy like Mike Pence, even or a if, guy like Jeb Bush, even you if they can't. if they run a white male like uh, Joe Biden or something, like yeah, there'll be hatred, but yeah, you can't keep the sustained outrage going. Well, I, and it's funny you bring up Joe Biden because I'm already reading scuttlebutt uh, as far as the left wing Democratic Party activists saying, you know what, yeah, we all like Uncle Joe, but let's be real here, this is an 80 year old white man, and that's not exactly our freaking topic du jour right now. And they're just not really all about it. So even though he polls far and away better than any other Democrat, I would actually be surprised if he declares he's going to run for president. I don't think he's going to. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think the DNC can can run a white male anymore. I, I think those days no. are just over. They are over. It'll be Cory Booker and his uh, and Cory Booker, and then the Secret Service will have to accompany him on his like two a.m. missions down to uh, you know. <laughs> Club Club Fat Fingers or wherever he sneaks off to in the middle of the night. I'm just kidding, Corey. Come on. I, it's all right. I, I know you're gay, brother. Just come out. It's cool. I, I actually am not so sure about that because I don't know if you remember you a couple so? of years ago. Well, a couple of years ago, the big thing that came out of him, and I think his opponent ran him, was that Corey Booker was like hook, hooking up with some stripper, a female stripper in New Jersey. Which it seems oh, like really? they, yeah, you could probably you could probably find it if you Google like Cory Booker stripper. You guys know better than me. He's, that's your coast, so I, I really don't. I, I'm I will find it. I, I I honestly, you know, I personally, I could care less what the guy is. I don't think it should make a difference in him running for president. I think people attack him because he's a single guy, and it's like the status quo is you have to be married to a woman. Uh, you know, I but I I don't I don't think he's gay. I mean, maybe he is, maybe he's not. But the stripper story was. Uh, this is from. New York Times now revealed 
Booker's Twitter messages. And he was, yeah, he was tweeting back and forth, I think, with this stripper. I'd have to read more about it. But I remember this was a story a couple years ago. Uh, this woman, uh, Miss Bonnaroo, it says, uh, bon- Bananu, uh, 24-year-old from Ohio. Wait, what's mm. ban- Your Banano is one of the five crime families. I'd have to look more into this, but apparently this, here's the picture. This is the woman that Cory Booker was allegedly hooking up with. So I'm not sure. I don't, if he, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. I think, I, I mean, I don't, I think him being gay is just, just as believable. I don't, I don't know. I'm going to go, I'm going to go full house of cards and say the Booker team leak that he was banging a stripper to make him, you know, but well, I, this don't, is, dude, honestly, I don't, I don't care, dude. It could be like, if it was like a, a, a gay black Buddhist, if they believed in capitalism and border security, I'd be like, hell yeah, I'll vote for you. By you the know, way, I, I have the name wrong. It was apparently this woman from Portland, Oregon named Lindsay Lee. I uh, uh, apparently DM'd her and then uh, tweeted her. Mm-hmm. Uh, she wrote, if you're POTUS, I call dibs on first lady. So I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't care if he's gay or hooking up with strippers. And I do think it is this weird thing that the status quo has to be the, that you have to be married to be the president. And why should I care? There is, there is an article. I think it was in the Washington Post today about how Donald Trump is the first president in a century to not have a dog. <laughs> yes, that's right. He talked. He talked about that last night at the rally. Actually, he was saying people are. He, he first. He start, you know how he likes to ramble around a particular topic. So he's talking about like border security and how they detect drugs at ports of entry. And then he's like, but then I asked this border patrol. You know, is this high tech machinery better than a dog? And the border patrol tells me, no, 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 the dog is the best. And that's when he starts rambling. You know, people say I should have a dog and he just starts going off on a tangent. (laughs) (laughs) I love when he goes off like that. It it is great. Nick from takes this shit too seriously. Jack, you know, my Jack and Ian, you guys know my thing. None of this shit's going to matter in a hundred years. You know what I mean? That's what gets me. People like get so fired up. It's like, dude, have a fucking sense of humor. About yeah, this. no, you're, I mean, you're, you're, light, you're lighten up. You're right that well, Donald Trump will be studied in by like political science circles a hundred years from now because it, it's uh, yeah. it, it's an odd curiosity and odd twist of history, but you're right that like 98, 99% of it, no one's going to care about a century from now. And politics is a, it's a marathon, not a sprint. I feel like a lot of people don't get that. And they're very much trapped in the moment. Um, and honestly, if you look at, if you look at the real, like what's happened in America since he's been office, right? Just take your resistance cap off for just a second. Are things really super horrible from where they were January of 2016? No, no. No, not at all. As a matter of fact, the market the market's been doing pretty good. Unemployment's low, uh, corporate profits are high. I mean, we're on all on many many cylinders. America is firing. Well, that's why. I, but I all was, it is is doom and gloom, and it's like if, it's just knock it if off. If you dude. take, I, I am I'm not a Donald Trump supporter. I never have been. But if you take the emotions out of it, you can't really make an objective argument that this is worse than if Hillary Clinton had been elected. I don't no. see how you can make that argument. And more importantly, it's about a thousand times more entertaining than if Hillary Clinton were elected. No doubt about that. Even, you know, the funny thing is even the people who hate him the most, they don't even realize how much they're going to miss him when he's gone. It's true. Now, yeah. What are they going to do? People have made. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The people left will have nothing careers. to do. Like people have been made because of Donald yeah, Trump. They, you know, yeah, they're they like Twitter themselves. celebrities, Twitter yep. resistance celebrities now because of Donald Trump. 
I, I, I agree with you, BK, that like, yeah, our, our lives have not changed that much with Trump in office. However, if, you know, you do have something like and people think it's far off, but a lot of people in the party are endorsing it like this Green New Deal that Ocasio right. or Kurt Cortez wants, that would drastically change your life. It wouldn't just be tweets that offend you. Um, yeah, but that, that, that thing's never going to happen. I mean, that's a load of bullshit. No. But but it's, it I think it's I think it's incrementally it's the same thing that they do with guns you know I think they would incrementally want to make well these yeah changes. that's what I was saying before I mean politics is incremental it's one strategic gambit leading into the next but I mean we're we're nowhere you near guys, close some of these things honestly the thing that gets me more than anything is this focus on high speed rail I mean can we knock it off with the high speed rail and live in reality here because I have been unlike most people. I've had a chance to watch our high-speed rail debacle unfold out here, first passed in the law by the stupid voters in 2008. Complete clusterfuck, right? And so now, even today, silly Gavin Newsom, our new governor, has finally said, you know what, we're abandoning, as of today, they're not even going to try to build a high-speed rail anymore from San Francisco to L.A., the one part of the state where you think there might be a market from it. Instead, they're going to press on with a high-speed rail line between Merced and Bakersfield. Go freaking look at a map of California and look at where those two places are. You're talking about a high-speed rail line in the middle of nowhere. It's <laughs> ludicrous. It makes no sense. But they keep, they, they're in love with, I'm like, dude, trains, aren't trains like a 200-year-old technology or some shit? I mean, let's move on to the new thing. Let's talk about Hyperloop. Let's talk about the flying car. Where's my goddamn flying car, by the way? Well, Oh, the other thing I wanted to ask you about BK was, uh, oh, who forwarded it to me? But there, that tweet where it was that moronic boob was, was talking about his job and stuff like that. You jumped in there and you're like, you sit behind a desk, bro. Like anybody oh, can do oh, your yeah. job. And the guy like, yes, that, was one of, this shit. that was one of the woke. Yeah, that was one of the woke vets who is uh, who is very all telling me like, yes, the, the women in the infantry and all that and special operations are totally fine, even though. All evidence shows the opposite. I keep going back to that one study, you guys, of the Marine Corps. When they did that study, an all-male platoon versus an integrated platoon, they did a nine-month study, you guys. They spent millions and millions of dollars on it, and it it proved definitively that an all-male platoon was far superior to the integrated one, obviously. And so what did then-Secretary Ray Mabus do? He took that nine-month multimillion-dollar study and threw it right in the shitter and said, yeah, well, we're doing it anyway. And you can't, how do you, how do you reason with people like that? Yeah. Because they're so ideological that you, you can't, and they will tell you that like the science is settled. There is no yeah. holdups, you know, no problems, nothing's going to happen. So all I, you guys I, need I, to I just at, shut up. Yes. And I, and Jack, the other one that drives me nuts is the, the transgender in the military thing. I think you and I probably agree on this. If you're, if you're just a trans, say you're, 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 you're private, uh, private Murphy, right? You come to me, I'm your CEO. You're like, Hey, I'm transgender now. I'd be like, okay, well, do you need to, do you need to do anything like hormone, sex change, uniform, name change? And you're like, no, I'm just transgender. I'd be like, okay, good to go. You're in. <laughs> but it's, but it's for somebody to sit there and argue with a straight face that removing somebody from duty and making them non-deployable for months, if not years at a time, we don't even know because of hormone therapy or slash surgery. And to say that doesn't affect readiness is the most stupid yeah. thing I've ever heard in my life. It's nonsense. It's, it's, an, it's an ideological these, argument. I'd love one of these Washington Post uh, military journalists because uh, I even suggested this. I'm like, hey, guys, why don't you fucking find out 
how many people have actually undergone hormone replacement therapy and undergone sex change therapy in the military, and if they have, how long they've been rendered unfit for duty slash non-deployable. Because me, a little birdie told me, if you start hormone therapy in the military, you're automatically non-deployable for two years. That's what I heard. I can't prove it yet. Yeah, I don't have well, the I mean, to go look at it. But we, how does that how does that indicate not affecting readiness? I mean, it's we ludicrous. all we all know people who have not been allowed to join because of asthma, uh, uh, minor minor credit. health issues. <laughs> credit. Um, you know, I, I I knew a guy. He had to take a prescription medication for acne. Uh, his acne was like so bad, you know, it'd get out of control. So he had to take these pills. Um, and he couldn't go to ranger school because he was on those pills. So he had to sneak them in, smuggle them in and tell them he wasn't on any medication. So, I mean, I think transsexuals can tell you themselves that, I mean, going through a, a gender reassignment surgery and all that other stuff. I mean, it's serious, serious shit. Um, not only physically, but mentally, Jack. Yeah. Yeah. Think about, no, it how, is. Think about what, uh, think about what uh, turmoil you're in in that state. Like, do yeah. I do it? Do I not do it? Do I go fucking full bore on this? Do I not? Am I ever going to be, and you're, you're thinking all this. And in the meantime, you're expected to show up and work. And it's just, it's just, it, it, the military is not in the habit of keeping people on who need extensive medical help. And, and that's why the, the people who make some of these arguments, it's like, they're trying to say two plus two is five. And if you argue against them, you're transphobic, you're sexist, you're racist. It's like, no, well, I, that's what I keep hearing. I'm, I'm okay. Hearing. I'm okay with the trans community. I mean, I'm, I'm even okay with them serving in the military. I, I just don't see how you can be going through a transition, but also be deployable. Well, I, I mean, it's just no one, one wants to make this point because, you know, it's somehow transphobic to bring this up and it's politically incorrect. But here's like a high profile example that people don't want to talk about. When Caitlyn Jenner got into that car accident and kill, literally killed someone, he was a man taking female hormones. Was that a factor yep. in his driving? Po- very possibly. I mean, if you're on alcohol, if you're on. What's up? I was going to say, you know, if those hormones have. If, if, like they tell me, hormones have zero effect on a soldier's ability and it doesn't, it doesn't have any effect on you at all, then why aren't we fucking jamming all of our special operations troops yeah. full of testosterone exactly. right now? Let's, yeah. make them, let's make them into scary monsters right now. Why aren't we doing that? <laughs> if they have no effect on readiness and it doesn't affect you as a soldier, what's the big deal? Yeah. Just have every military member look like Dale Comstock. It's, not that I'm yeah, not inferring mandatory. anything there. <laughs> it's it's a, it's an ideological argument, and that's why it's difficult, if not impossible, to have an adult discussion with these people because they're ide- they're ideologues. Just like I'm just saying, like just prove to me, prove me wrong is all I'm saying. And people don't want they don't want to hear just the fact that you're making an argument is what makes them angry. They don't much less. They don't want to engage. You're, in you're not allowed. You're like not allowed to disagree. Yeah, it's crazy, guys. Anyway, freaking Twitter, man. I, I wanted <laughs> to bring up one other thing uh, a little bit earlier, Please. and I did pull up the clip. Uh, I remember Nick from Ranger Up brought this up. You were talking about Trump going off script, talking about his dog. This was right. such a funny clip because he was talking about. Uh, you know, the trouble with the border and gangs and MS-13. And I'm sure on the script, it talked about coyotes, meaning oh, the, you know, coyotes, the drug runners. Yeah. And if you listen to the way he says this, Trump lit- thought they meant literal coyotes. I'm going to play the clip. <laughs> um, but before going any further, I want to address a matter of vital national importance. 
You've all been seeing it, reading it, hearing it, border security. Every nation has not only the right, but the absolute duty to protect its borders and its citizens. A nation without borders is a nation not at all. Without borders, we have the reign of chaos, crime, cartels, and believe it or not, coyotes. <laughs> the way he I says, will not surrender the way he this says, nation. believe it or not, coyotes, I, I mean, I think that's, <laughs> that's literally what he thought. All of his verbiage is about the best, spectacular, huge. Everything is, everything is the craziest thing you've ever heard of, right? You know, it's going to be unbelievable. It's going to be huge, like nothing you've ever seen. He's very demonstrative and emotive in his language. Yeah. But, uh, uh, but yeah, he, he's, he's funny, dude. I, I don't mind. Like, see, this is where he was stupid to me. Like, first of all, the, the, the focus on border security with the terrorism, that was dumb to me. I know, like, it, nobody's saying there are, like, legions of ISIS snipers, you know, coming through the southern border. Instead, they should be, it should be about cost and the enormous bill the taxpayers are paying for all this. And the thing is, the system, Jack, if I had my way, I was agnostic on the wall from the beginning. I was like, forget the wall. Change the laws that say you cannot immediately deport someone unless they're Mexican or Canadian. Because once they're in the country, then it's a huge expense and time to ever get rid of them. And that's the part that needs to be stressed is the, the, the taxpayer bill. Well, if I could just it's jump just in there, though, when you say, like, the porous borders and terrorism, you don't know, like that he makes that argument. I, I don't think it's uh – a bad thing to talk about because like we've had Dan, not, not, we've had Dan Gordon the on the podcast. Of it. Well, Dan Gordon wrote a whole book. He wrote two books about this, but he's been on the podcast, former IDF. And his whole argument is just the same way that the tunnels are being used in Israel for terrorism, which he's gone in depth about. He thinks the same thing could happen. Yeah, with but the that, tunnels that's, being that's built comparing the apples and oranges. The, the United States Mexican border is not the Israeli Palestinian border. I mean, they're just two different, but it issues. could be used for the same Oh, uh, okay. Reasons. The Canadian border could be used. Sure. Oh, absolutely. They could yeah. come up in submarines from the Atlantic Ocean. I mean, there are <laughs> all kinds of threats. You can, you have to pick and choose which ones to deploy your resources to protect against. Um, right, Jack. But that's where it's idiotic to me is when people. That's when people are like, "See, look, a tunnel. See, therefore, walls are useless." And I'm like, moron. Nobody's saying a physical barrier would stop or be effective 100% of the time. That's not the idea. The idea is that you slow it down so you just can't walk over. A tunnel takes a lot of how many man hours, yeah. how much money to build a tunnel, you know? And then the morons saying, oh, they'll just have ladders. I'm like, really? They're going to have a ladder in the middle of the desert? Where are they going to get this ladder from? How are they going to carry this ladder? All this, they just say stupid shit. Well, I mean, I don't think, I think it would be stupid to build a wall in the middle of the desert. Um, but I, I mean, I understand your point. Uh, I think they, there's definitely good reasons to build walls in some of the more urban and built up areas. And then in the open areas, San Diego, San Diego, it worked great. They built a wall here and ask any border patrol agent in the San Diego sector, like everything like illegal immigration and drug trafficking dropped by like 90%. It's like night and day. So clearly it works. And clearly Jack, like you said, this is a, an appropriate area, this heavily urbanized area between Tijuana, major city. In San Diego, major city, a wall is appropriate for sure. Yeah, but it's an emotional topic for people. I don't know why they just can't just talk about it like men. Why can't people talk about stuff like men? And women can talk like men. You guys know what I mean. Men, yeah. women, adults. <laughs> Let's talk about it like adults. Don't, don't fly into hysterics because somebody used the wrong pronouns, for Christ's sakes. 
So, so the Twitter account that you're currently using for those listening is at BK Actual Podcast. It's significantly Correct. smaller than what you were originally at. So, how many followers <laughs> did you lose because of this whole debacle? Uh, I it was somewhere around like 3,700, I think, when it got vaporized, and so now I'm about I got it I got it up quickly to about almost 500. So I just need to multiply it by about seven times and I'll be at where I was. But I mean, it just sucks because you do a podcast, you have a Patreon, you rely on people helping you out and all that to, to continue with your podcast and, and have it grow. And well, this is the thing, Ian, this is, this is the big debate everybody's having right now with these tech companies. Like, are they a service in line with like, say a utility or are they a private company that can do what they want? And people are starting to argue, like if you're the only game in town, I, I don't know the answer to that. They, they have monopolized the market and they push out people who could compete. Uh, I mean, I'm of the opinion at this point with the bigger tech companies, the bigger social media companies, that they should be nationalized or, or at least have the government should split them up into smaller companies. Yeah, I mean, I, I've seen people like kicked off of people are getting kicked off of Patreon for political beliefs. And the funny thing is they're getting kicked off not for online behavior, but what they do in real life now. Yeah, yep. So now these companies, these platforms are treating your behavior in your personal life outside their platforms. They're taking that behavior into account and deciding whether or not to grant you their platform. Uh, what I mean, that's fucking messed up. I mean, between them, they're harvesting, collecting, and selling all of your data despite whatever yes. they tell you about privacy. They're selling yeah. everything. Just like, by the way, these DNA companies said they weren't going to sell your data. And, and now it's oh, come yeah, out that yeah, one of the more popular one. ones, yeah, is giving your, literally your DNA to the FBI. Of course they are. They all are. And uh, th- then you combine that with the fact that these companies are essentially running a giant um, you know, social experiment on all of us, treating us like we're, uh, you know, our society is some kind of a Petri dish for them to play around in. And make money off of now. I, uh, I'm a, I'm of the opinion that it's time for some of the antitrust laws to kick in. Yeah, Jack. I mean, you're in the publishing business, and look how look at what Google and Facebook have done to online publishers. It's very difficult to make money. I mean, you saw the media layoffs this past. Now, these media companies haven't exactly helped themselves out by choosing to locate their offices in extreme extremely opulent New York City real estate for enormous amounts of rent. But still, they've made it so hard that it's very difficult to make money unless you're a Google or Facebook and you have all that. They're getting all the ad money. Yeah, it's a race to the bottom for sure. And I mean, even the biggest outlets in, you know, media, I mean, a lot of them, most of them are, are not profitable. That that blows my mind, Jack. Remember, you and I were talking about Vice Media. Remember when a couple of years, like five years ago, and Vice was just blowing yeah. up, and they were getting val- They were getting like hundreds of millions of dollars in venture capital money poured yep. into them, and they can't make a profit. And I'm like, what are you doing with all that money? I mean, you can give me fifty grand a year, and I'll I'll give you a, a pretty fun product, a good product. You know, I don't know what they're doing with all these hundreds of millions of dollars, frankly. Yeah, I know. That's why I was laughing at the uh, the Pentagon. They spend something like five or six hundred million dollars a year on like p- public relations and stuff like that. I'm like, <laughs> how is your public relations so bad when you have so much money to play with? Dude, honestly, give me the Pentagon's official Twitter account and you can pay me like, I don't know, like $100,000 a year and I'd do better than that $500 million. I friggin' guarantee it. I guarantee it. Yeah. It's crazy, man. 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's just one of those things where like they can just wake up in the morning and change their algorithm and your entire yeah. business is done. Yeah, that's right. Jack, you got to get out here to uh, to Southern California. This is the epicenter of the resistance. You'd, uh, you'd it? love it. Your your toxic, uh, your toxic non-woke white male veteran status would uh, would make you very popular around here. Oh, well, I mean, I live in New York City, so, I mean, my, my skin is pretty thick. And, and you live in a pretty hipster part of Brooklyn. Yeah, for sure, for sure. <laughs> I know. Jack, how funny is, Ian, how funny is that, that Jack lives in, like, frickin' home of, like, the uh, artisanal mayonnaise shop? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm, d- I'm deep behind enemy lines. It's like an Antifa enclave. But I'm kind of the same way living in SoCal. People are like, dude, how can you live out in SoCal, all those goddamn communists? And I'm like, eh, you know, I kind of like having my my uh, fresh, raw pokey shop three blocks from my house. I oh, like that. I, I, I don't want to live places. in the middle of freaking nowhere in Kansas or, no offense, Kansas. I just don't want to live out there. Yeah, like no. I know guys who are the opposite, but I'm just not like that. Yeah, when I was in the military, I mean, that whole, like, strip mall lifestyle where, like, the only place to go is the gas station and get a Mountain Dew Code Red. <laughs> turn around. <laughs> yeah, it's not really my thing. Yeah, I hear you, man. I'll have to come out there, man. I'll have to get on the – I'll have to do an in-studio with you guys. It would be fun. Yeah, you should. It would be awesome. Definitely. I'll have to get out there. Well, buy my plane ticket. <laughs> well, we're we're all definitely sounding like a bunch of coastal elitists right now at the same I time. Am a coast, I am a proud coastal elitist. However, my heart is with the people. Yeah. I'm like Bane. I'm like Bane. You know, from Batman, I'm like him. I'm like, I want to give it back to the people. Well, I, I appreciate you coming on, man. We, we definitely have to do this again soon. Uh, once again, as I mentioned, the Patreon is patreon.com slash BK Actual. The podcast is World News with BK. You record every week. And uh, what have you been up to with the podcast, by the way? I know it's like it's pretty simple, but it's you kind of going over stuff. You don't really have guests usually, but what have you been up to? Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty simple. So, yeah, guys, when I was still contracting, it was easy for me to get guests obviously. And I've had guests from pretty much every special operations unit. Hell, I had, uh, Jack, I had your boy, uh, John Stryker Meyer, former oh, really? uh, Mac V, Mac awesome. V Sog was on the podcast because yeah. he was out here, but you've had Terry you know, Shepard on, work. right? Well, who's that? Terry Shepard you've had on. I, I had, I've had Terry Shepard on before. Terry's great. Uh, he said he'd do it again. I don't know. I scared him a little bit, but you know, it's kind of hard to get people. And then the other thing, guys, you'd be surprised, but you know, there's not a lot of veterans, you know, they're, they don't want to talk about, you know, politics and news and stuff that's going on. It's, it's controversial. So I end up mostly doing it by myself and, uh, I have a good time. I mean, every week is different, you know, and I love it. And I always end on a high note with somebody doing something stupid with their body, usually involving something, some sex, something sex related. Yeah. I I find, I find that with, uh, a lot of like writers or people who claim they want to be a writer and they contact me and really they just want to like promote their shooting school or something like that. And that's why I'm happy to like give a shout out, but like, I can't imagine having someone on a podcast for an hour just to talk about like, Oh yeah. Like I'm starting this training center and you know, I I had to do it it once on on a previous episode. Yeah. Yeah, Ian, I'm sure you come across that all the time because a lot of people ask me like, hey, why don't you get a big name veteran guy over here on your podcast? I'm like, well, because they they don't really want to talk about stuff like this. I mean, and they see the description of the podcast where I'm talking about a hobo breaking into a funeral home and having sex with a corpse. You know, they're not really down <laughs> to talk about that. That is a real story. That was last week, by the way. 
And uh, it seems reasonable. guys aren't really down with that. Two and a half hours straight, boys, live, no editing. Nobody nice. else does it, I'm telling you. Some of those guys I'm cool with having on because they talk about other stuff. Like when I saw I, – I, I love having Jeff Gonzalez on, for example, who's in that world. But I saw like Jeff was uh, – taking photos of him training uh, Alex Jones. So I was like, I have to ask him about this. Oh, but no, other times I've had to have people on. And, and it's kind of weird for me, too, because my knowledge of guns is very little. So it's a struggle. It, it, and it's tough to have, like, especially if you're doing a news politics show, because almost instantly you're going to alienate half your audience. Oh, yeah. So if some, so if some guy is in the business of selling his shooting school or selling his book about being a SEAL or an SF guy, he doesn't want to alienate half his audience right away by going on a show, which just on the outset, you'd consider me like right leaning, but uh, you know, it's far more nuanced than that, but you know, guys don't want to do that. And I understand it. So I just end up doing it by myself. Cool, man. Well, uh, check out BK's new Twitter, which is at BK actual podcast. Hopefully we can help you build that up. And uh, this has been good, man. I, I, you know, I hope that you somehow get your original account back, but it doesn't sound like it's going to happen. Yeah. (laughs) No, thanks for doing it, man. And, uh, you know, make sure that you stand at, uh, the position of attention when you address officers on Twitter. (laughs) Oh God. Sergeant. Can I say, can I I say who it is? I I so badly. Yeah. Why not? That guy was, nah, I'm not going to Sergeant. Uh, you can yeah, say whatever yeah, you want, it, man. It, I have in, no- case pe- in, in case people don't know, yes, I did get told by an extremely woke uh, veteran who uh, allegedly failed out of airborne school uh, that I should stand in a position of attention while talking to him because I was just a lowly non-commissioned officer, and he is an officer. And I actually I laughed at his face. It's pretty funny. God help us. I know. Thanks a lot, guys. I'll let you go. Yeah. Get out here to SoCal. Ian, thank you. Thanks, BK. Uh, All right. So wrapping things up here, you know, I really wanted to mention this, actually. Uh, Rob Trevino, who we previously had on and is a friend of the show and is highly spoken of by other guys on the show, like Todd Apowski, is suffering a life-altering medical condition, and he needs your help. Um, They have a GoFundMe up, which I'm going to post the link to in the description for this episode. And they're hoping to raise $100,000 for him. I, I don't know if they want to go into detail with what happened to him, but it's serious, and that's why they have to raise that amount. Um, but the good news is that within one day, they're already halfway there. They're over halfway there. So hopefully the soft rep radio audience and you know other people getting this out there could uh, get them to their goal in the next few days. George Hand is involved in this, according to uh, Eric Meisner, who brought this to my attention. Eric's a writer for the loadout. Yeah. George, George has been visiting, uh, Rob in the hospital. Um, and you know, Rob Trevino is a, a terrific, great guy. He's going through, you know, some health issues right now, pretty serious. Uh, he's laid up in the hospital. Uh, and you know, if you can you know, donate to this effort, you know, I, uh, $50,000 in a couple of days is amazing, in, in but, a day. but, but just keep in mind, like that's, that'll pay for like a, maybe like three days in the hospital. I don't know how, how much he's going to need, but if you can donate, please consider doing it. Um, Rob's a young guy. I don't think he's even 50 yet. I mean, he, he, sh- he should have some years left in him, you know, and I, I hate to see uh, a, a really a good guy. One of the good ones in that situation. Um, so, you know, I'm glad that George is there looking over his shoulder a little bit and, you know, he has family around him taking care of him. Um, 
So we hope he gets better soon. Yeah, I, I personally will be sure to donate as well. I'm going to, like I said, post the link here. And for those who might be new listeners, Rob Trevino's former Delta Force, former The Unit, as we sometimes say on here. But I, I think he'd be fine with us saying that. Uh, and we hope that you guys could throw in for him. I mean, he's a guy who's fought for us as a country and uh, could use our help right now. Yeah. So, uh, that's that's an important thing to shoot out there. I'm going to also get to this email uh, that we have from a listener, Mike uh, Sadzak. Jack and Ian, here is an article from Marine Corps Times about military housing coming under congressional scrutiny. Sent me the link. Uh, and he writes, after the episode 424, I've been emailing my senators, Dick Durbin and Tammy Duckworth. I'm sure Tammy Duckworth, you know, being a veteran herself, hopefully um, is aware of this issue and wants to do something. Um, but he's been emailing them weekly uh, and asking that they make this a topic of priority. While I'm sure my emails have not been read yet, I am glad to see that military housing is finally getting some attention in Congress just hope that something positive comes out of this. Thanks. And that was sent to softrep.radio at softrep.com. And I also wanted to add that uh, our our previous guest, Peter Gidry from Forgotten Not Gone, uh, Forgotten Not Gone reposted our episode with those two ladies affected by this military housing crisis. So, Yeah, the things are moving a little bit, slowly but surely, on the, on the housing issues. Um, and I know the uh, military families are out there pushing for it. Um, I don't think the the congressional hearing has happened yet, um, but there is going to be one, and the families will be involved, as I understand it, to offer testimony. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. And I think it was Lee who wrote something that Marco Rubio is getting involved in on some level. I believe this. so. Yeah. So, I mean, like I said, this should be a bipartisan issue, I would hope, and, and Dick Durbin and Tammy Duckworth, who Mike has been emailing, those are both Democrats. Um, I, I don't totally know Dick Durbin's record on the military. I know he's very left wing, uh, but Tammy Duckworth, on the other hand, like I said, is someone who lost limbs in combat and I would think is sympathetic to military families for sure. Um, so yeah, keep contacting your Senator, your Congressman, let them know about this, that military families with young children are in housing with black mold and they can't get out. It's, it's, uh, pretty crazy issue if you haven't listened to it that's episode 424 um all right well we've covered a lot this episode we've gone all over the place uh wrapping things up here be sure to check out crate club we have different tiers of membership depending on how prepared you want to be and gift options are available as well scott whitner from the loadout room army ranger drew wallace who you've heard on the show and all those other guys from hurricane involved with crate club are putting together great gear 100 custom products made for us Everything from sunglass cases to EDC bags and other manly products. It's a club for men, by men. You can check that all out at CrateClub.us. Once again, that's CrateClub.us. As a reminder for those listening, now is the time to sign up for the Spec Ops channel. And actually, I'm going to go a little off script here and let you know that on the Spec Ops channel is where you could watch Big Mountain Heroes, which just won an award at the Mammoth Film Festival. Yep. For uh, best, uh, I believe it's best action sports short film. And uh, congratulations to all those guys involved. Leo Jenkins, uh, Isaiah Burkhart, Nick Betts, Nick Cahill, uh, my friend Brittany Forgione did the voiceover for it. And uh, cool. they did a great job with that short film. And, and you could watch that on the Spec Ops channel and get a membership for only four ninety nine a month. So that's, that's uh, specopschannel.com. Sign up today. 
Check out Big Mountain Heroes along with a lot of other stuff, such as um, Training Cell inside the team room. And according to Brandon, he said it on the last Power Thought podcast, we may be shooting some future inside the team room stuff for there, oh, okay. which would be really cool. So uh, sign up today for only four ninety nine a month, specopschannel.com. And then we've been pushing this really hard, and we hope that you sign up. The News Rep Financial Report, exclusive information that you can act on today to secure a brighter future for tomorrow. The News Rep Financial Report can help you discover new investment strategies in the defense sector. Defense industry stocks can be a lucrative investment if you buy at the right time. Our team of foreign policy, security, and military experts provide real-time intelligence for stocks, based on global trends that affect financial markets in the national defense industry. By subscribing now, you'll get exclusive access to our industry expertise. The NewsRep Financial Newsletter Advantage, our team offers unmatched defense industry familiarity and expertise, unbiased knowledge of geopolitical trends, full access to NewsRep's foreign policy, security, and financial intelligence platform, and access, of course, to our team of experts and analysts. This is a really awesome thing to be a part of. So just go to the FinRep tab at the top of the newsrep.com to sign up. That's FinRep on the newsrep.com. It's separate from a newsrep membership, but uh, people are loving it, and we hope that you sign up. Anything else uh, before we wrap things up here? Next um, episode, Max Martini. The only other thing uh, I have going on is. Uh, our writer, a uh, former Green Beret named Greg Walker, uh, has written a series for us. It's a three-part series about a Green Beret back in the 1980s. Uh, in 1980, he left the military and defected and became a communist Sandinista wow. fighter in, uh, in Nicaragua and uh, led an armed column, a guerrilla column, into Honduras, uh, which resulted in his death. And for years and years, I've tried to get to the bottom of this story. Uh, some people will remember in uh, Eric Haney's book, Inside Delta Force, he talks about this incident where he claims to have killed this American Green Beret who went over to the other side. Haney's story is inaccurate. And I've gone through the, it, it just isn't true. And um, it, there's a lot, a lot of backstory behind that, but you will read the true story about this guy. His, his name was Dave Baez. Um, you will read it in Greg Walker's series. The first one is out now. Uh, it went up yesterday. And part two will probably be out by the time people hear this podcast. Um, so I highly encourage people to go and look at that because truth really is stranger than fiction. And Greg did a ton of research on this. Um, he served in some of these units kind of in the same places. He was down in El Salvador and elsewhere during that time frame. Um, so he's familiar with a lot of the players and a lot of the actors down there. And he just did a ton of research. And I'll try to actually get him on the podcast to talk about his article once all three parts are out. Um, so please go check that out. It's just a really incredible story. Yeah. All right. Check it out at thenewsrep.com. I think we've covered a lot here. And uh, one last thing again, donate to Rob Trevino. The link will be right here on the description uh, and get the word out. You've been listening to Soft Rep Radio. New episodes up every Wednesday and Friday. Follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Soft Rep Radio.